Let's Roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for all things Kings of War. as they delve into the world of Mantica and bring you in-depth coverage of all things Kings of War. Welcome to Countercharge. I'm Mark Chabot. I'm Alex Kuss. And I'm Steve Hildrew. Welcome to Countercharge. So, following on from our 3D printing minis, we've invited a leading light of the world of 3D printing terrain onto the show, which is Mark um, from RM Printable Terrain. We're really excited to have Mark on the show. I am a customer of Mark's. I'm deeply excited as I sit here on my desk next to my 3D printer, which is, for once, not chuntering away. But uh, we can continue our talk about the rise of the technology of 3D printing, what it means for wargaming, but with more of a focus on terrain. So if you listen to the previous episode, we talked a lot about resin printing and mini printing. Uh, terrain is a lot more done with uh, sort of plastic printing, PLA. So that's really cool. It's right up right in my ballpark. Mark, welcome to you. Hey, thank you so much for having me, guys. I'm super excited to be here. Yeah, man, we're really excited to have you here. So what we'd like to do on Countercharge is kick off with a quick intro to, to who you are, whereabouts in the world you come from, kind of how you got into tabletop gaming, how you found out about Kings of War, if you know about Kings of War, which I hope you do, and then uh, a bit of a an isolation hobby update, so what you've been working on uh, during quarantine. I, I've actually had a lot of trouble focusing during quarantine. I'm starting a ton of projects and never finishing really any of them yet. I fall victim to that. A lot, actually. But uh, yeah, sure. My name is uh, Mark Chabot. I'm just over in the uh, by Toronto in Canada. I live out in uh, Hamilton area. Uh, started the hobby a long time ago. Started when I was seven, actually. There was a, a games workshop located in Mississauga, right there at the mall at Square One. And uh, I would go there and just be blown away by the models and the painting. They had the painting table set up. I'd spend eight, ten hours a day at that painting table just learning all about it and my parents big supporters of the hobby set me up in my own little spot in the basement with this with a rug and little hang down light and that's kind of where it all started so i don't know what 20 25 years ago long long time ago into the hobby started with warhammer and then just started branching out from there so branched out to a little bit of mordheim a little bit of Frostgrave, a little bit a little warhammer 40k um just recently kind of started on Kings of War. Really liked the concept of getting back into the big army feel. So looked into that. And then, uh, yeah, that's kind of how I started into the hobby. How did I find Kings of War? That's uh, actually at the Hamilton Gaming Night. Barnaby runs this huge thing at the Legion where tons of people come and tons of people meet. I believe it's actually the largest in Canada. And uh, I met up with the guys there, a bunch of great people that play Kings of War, got introduced to a couple of the games, started looking at the armies. I believe they had the book for me to download for free the other day. So I started looking at that and uh, really hoping to build an army this year. But I've got lots of projects on the go, so I'm going to do my best. It says an isolation hobby update. Ah, man. What have I been working on? I've been working on uh, miniatures for our, our shop. We kind of wanted to do some miniatures that match the terrain a little more than the miniatures that are out there. So we're going to be looking into 3D printing miniatures. So I just pulled some of those off the resin printer yesterday and got them all uh, Zentheo primed up, and I was going to paint them tonight. I also have one of our dwarf boards 
Uh, we just released a whole kind of underpass theme. So you've got the different pillars, but not the same pillar over and over again. I think there's seven different pillars on there, a bunch of different dwarf pieces of scenery. I've got them all, uh, multiple layers of airbrush on them. So I'm hoping to finish them this week <laughs> and maybe, maybe get into some of the backlog of some of the models that I've got. I've got a Sisters of Battle army, all just new in box type thing that I'd like to put together and hopefully get painting. But we'll see. It seemed to have more jobs around the house now with quarantine. We've completely redone our backyards. So that's also been something we've been focusing on. <laughs> yeah, backyards are just like big terrain projects, right? Yeah, exactly. We've just laid down a whole bunch of rock. <laughs> I feel like we have exactly the same life. That's literally what I, apart from the resin printing, which I've not been doing, the starting hundreds of hobby projects, redoing your backyard. That's that's exactly what I've been doing as well. I, I feel we're kind of like the Canadian English mirror, except that you're like successful in the hobby. <laughs> <laughs> I just look that way. Don't worry. I just look that way. Okay, okay. <laughs> That's me right there. <laughs> so speaking of terrain, your company is RM Printable Terrain. So uh, how how long have you been running? And is it did it start mainly just with the advent of three D printing, or did it predate that? So RM Printable Terrain. We started as RM Studio Terrain, but I switched over to RM Printable Terrain because it's not really a studio. It's more the files that you can print yourself. So you're you're more doing it that way. It started out. Uh, our company started out about a year ago, but I started looking into 3D printing probably about three years ago. But it was really kind of a solution to a problem that I had probably all the way back, almost 10 years. I don't know if you followed Games Workshop at all with their terrain and their switch to AOS, but they kind of dumped all of their terrain that they had. And they had some great stuff. They had watchtowers, they had uh, chapels, they had uh, arcane ruins. Uh, they had a beautiful piece that was uh, Skullvane Mance. I don't know if, if you guys saw it or know what it is, but it's yep. uh, it had like the bridge up to the door and it had tons of theme. And Games Workshop was just kind of like, well, we're kind of done with this. We're not going to sell it anymore. And I was kind of, I was kind of like, well, but I kind of need it for all my gaming systems. Like, what am I going to do? So I started building it all by hand. I think a lot of people have gone that route. Built countless hills, countless forests using flock, tons of buildings. But if you really want them to look right, like you're building them brick by brick by brick. The last really big. Pr- big huge project i did by hand uh was for their armies on parade that they've got and i built a dwarven display table like a dwarven army display and it had my whole army of dwarves on there uh it was two sections it had massive pillars and had piles of gold that were uh almost 15 inches tall and then the whole display itself had a second floor an upper floor with a with um, a face of carved into the mountainside the whole thing was two feet by two feet by almost four feet and I started looking at the time that it took me to do that. It took me months to do that. And I, I don't have months to build terrain anymore. Um, so I started talking with a couple of people about getting kind of commission jobs on terrain. They priced it out and told me how long it would take. And, and then I was like, well, I'd rather build it myself. I love being hands-on in the hobby. Um, maybe I'll look at a styrofoam cutter. Styrofoam cutters you can use and set to build your bricks a lot faster. And right then I was looking at making uh, ruined buildings for uh, Mordheim, for uh, actually Frostgrave was the game that I was playing with the guys back then. But I was like, oh, I'm still going to have to build this brick by brick. I've got a newborn at home. Like This is a lot of time, and I just want to throw dice with the guys and have a nice table. And that was when I decided that uh, maybe a 3D printer was a choice. So I started looking at 3D printers and pricing out 3D printers and seeing kind of what was offered online. 
And so I started almost like Eamon actually just kind of hobby printing everything and trying to trying to get all the files I could and trying to make something that would work for what I wanted. But I was starting to get frustrated. There is there was no sets of a ruined city anywhere to be had online. No free files, no paid files. I couldn't find it. I wanted like a big tower that was ruined in the middle. I wanted multiple stories of buildings. I wanted the the plank ways to walk on. I wanted like the the narrow city streets. But then I also wanted later to have buildings on a table where you could actually fit units through it. So I um I looked up 3D designers. I met um a gentleman named uh, uh Ian Lovecraft and I started sharing with him this plan that I had got a lot of inspiration from uh, like medieval times and stone buildings and I thought well if there was a big war like would they really have a lot of wood left because that would be the first thing salvaged by the enemy to make different siege weapons so I really focused on creating this giant city that was mostly stone and took its inspiration from big stone buildings and uh, we worked together and that's when uh, we started so it was a year ago and we were like hey we're gonna start with this first kickstarter it's gonna be an epic city and it's going to be giant and by the time that finished it was giant i think Honestly, if you print every piece of scenery and you play a game like Kings of War or AOS where you don't need the whole table really filled, you can easily make like five, six, seven tables of terrain and have no repeats. So that's that's the truth of why I started in the 3D printing, um, and that's why I made the company Arm Printable Terrain because I wanted this terrain that I wanted, and it was having a hard time finding it. That's awesome. It's like the old adage, be the change you want to see in this world. So, and you just, <laughs> you really took the bull by the horns. And it's the, that's exactly it. Like I built those houses. I did the bricks. I loved it, but I do not have the time when you have a family at home, like you still want epic stuff and you still want to have, like, you still want to paint it. You still want to enjoy it. You still want it to look awesome, but yeah, but you got to find something to replace some of those things. And for me, that's 3d printing. Well, it gives you some of that parallel processing of ability where you can like you can print on your 3D printer. It might take a day or two to like print a good big piece of terrain, but you can be doing other things while that's happening. Yeah, exactly. And I did you guys talk with Eamon about that? Yeah. On your, your other podcast? Because that's it. I've actually got uh, six printers downstairs right now, just in my in my office. Uh, four of them are working right now on uh, some sci-fi terrain. Two of them are working on miniatures. But I'm getting to sit here and talk with you guys about it. And then I go to bed and I leave them on and when I wake up, they're done. So Yeah, when I, when I wake up, mine, mine tends to leave huge spools of plastic everywhere because I've got a misprint. But that's just because <laughs> I'm incompetent. I actually find that having a 3D printer makes me kind of, it makes me kind of lazy in some ways because, you know, like you say, it makes my wife happy because there's not big, like, bags full of old styrofoam and bits of things that I yeah. say because it might be useful. <laughs> but I kind of, I, in some ways, I, I miss a little bit the kind of the hobbiness of it. But what I'm finding is that because, you know, you can, you can buy beautiful pieces of printed terrain like yours and stuff, but they're not always like exactly what you want so you can kind of kit bash them together with bits of like hills and styrofoam and stuff and actually it just makes things a lot easier doesn't it yeah and um top table community i don't know if you guys know them they just did a build with our buildings on it on their table and they featured it and they they shared it and that's exactly what um, that gentleman's name was steve as well what he was saying he's like he did all of the building of the actual board itself so he did the river he did the stone walkways and he threw the buildings on, and the whole build took him four days. And he's like, this build would have taken me 
about a month to do. But because you have some of those pieces, like you don't just have to use 3D pieces. You can mix and match them with everything, like you said. And then you still get that hobby side and then you still save that time. And usually what I do with that time is I put it into the miniatures. So now I've got more of a painted army instead of half my army painted. So it gives you all these like possibilities. Like you can basically like you have an infinite bits box for terrain and miniatures. It's like whatever you can print, you can add into your toolbox. But um what do you what have you found so far about like the limitations of the technology? Has it you're about a year or two in now, so you you've seen like what you can do, what you can't do, like what's working well, what's kind of like what are you a bit frustrated with and where do you want to go with the technology? There's some different limitations for everybody. It all depends on where you kind of start. Like my mm-hmm. limitations now are very different than my buddies that I convinced to get a 3D printer a couple months ago. One of the really big ones is when you get a problem with a printer. Sometimes you'll get like something funny coming out of the printer. Like, is it Steve that was saying that he wakes up to the bird's nest? Oh mm-hmm. yeah, that has happened. <laughs> if, if sometimes you're working, waking up to a, a bird's nest, all you need to do is throw down a, a glue stick on your build plate before you do it. But to find out those inf- that piece of information, you need to know someone that's been there before, right? right? And so that's what I did with my buddies, actually. I have a f- just a Facebook chat group that they can ask if they come up with a problem. And mm-hmm. some of the printers just have a mind of their own. So one day you'll get a perfect print and one day you won't. So that's one of the limitations, I feel. Another limitation is kind of the time. It really is. If you're in a rush and you need a piece of scenery... Uh, The next day for an event maybe that you're hosting at your house with your buddies, 3D printing really isn't that solution. If you're kind of a procrastinator and a last-minute man, 3D printing isn't really for you. Uh, You need to be able to take the time and the care to actually learn a little bit about the machine, and not everybody has that. A lot of people just want to kind of click and play. And then when something goes wrong, it's really frustrating. But if you have someone that you can lean on or or you've got a, a group or a Facebook group that you can ask, like right now, um, our Imprintable Terrain, we actually have like a side community and it's designed just for that. If you come up with a hiccup, you just toss it in there. And usually there's five answers before 10 minutes type thing about how you can fix it. The, other, the last kind of little Im- limitation is the quality of the prints. Uh, Some people say, oh, I can see the lines in the prints. And you can if you don't have your printer set up correctly. A lot of the places that you can order terrain from, they print at a height of about 0.2. And 0.2 means how much space is in between each step. But if you print at home, you can actually reduce that step so the line isn't as thick. So like right now, all of the stuff that I do for pictures for our printable terrain, I actually print on something called an Ender 3 Pro, which is just a like a $300 printer. So all of our stuff is done on a printer that everybody has access to. The only difference is, is that we turn the steps way down. We usually print at about 0.12. It just means it takes more time, but you, you get a, a better quality. And if you really want to print miniatures or if you really want to play, print something, I call them greebles. Uh, like doorways or lanterns or torches or or things like you said bits you really do need a resin printer right now uh, i don't i personally don't think fdm which is like a plastic printer is there yet but mm-hmm. the resin printers you can print tiny tiny things like really tiny things like complete feathers for a helmet uh, at 28 millimeter scale and 
less than an hour to do a whole set of like 30 of them. So resin printing for the really small fine detail, I think solves one of those limitations. But yeah, time. Time is the big one. You, you got to plan in advance. Sounds like you need, you know, a little bit of planning and forethought. But in the end, like over the course of like building a table's worth or two tables worth of terrain, you're going to save time. But it's a bit more upfront work than just building it by hand with like popsicle sticks and styrofoam. It is. And um, once you get it rolling, though, like once you get your printer set and you've built it and you know what it's doing, I, I take maybe 10 minutes in the morning to get all six of them going. And when they're done, I might take five minutes to reload it and do it again. So like they, um, I'm printing actually a table for a gentleman named Ron to play Legion on. And I'll probably have his table done in three, four days because I've got all of the printers working at once. And the time that I spend physically doing it might be two hours total to get it done and out the door. I think it's definitely like you say, it's, it's learning the foibles of your particular printer, isn't it? So like, um, some of the stuff so mine is a, an FLson QQS it's a Chinese printer and it's there's a there's a whole community about how to make because they stuff they supply you with is okay but like yeah. the, the little vents that uh, blow cold air onto the hot end aren't brilliant so you end up 3d printing parts for your own 3d printer which is really weird but then um so the big the bird's nest that I had the other day when I really messed up is I'd, I'd, I'd set the models um, in the slicing program too close together and what happened was as it was traveling, I hadn't set it to avoid the other models and it caught. So the vents that I printed were just a little bit lower and they caught on what I was printing, which knocked one of them off. And of course, they're made from the same material. So they started to melt into oh. the model that oh, I was no. printing. <laughs> so I came, and luckily I came up halfway through, but it was just like a melt. Everything was melted into everything else. And it was just the most appalling. But, you know, it's not like a resin printer where you don't have to clean it off and there's leaks and it's quite toxic. You're literally just like peeling off the plastic, um, giving yeah. it a good scrub down and starting again. And in my case, printing new vents. <laughs> yeah. But it, it is, and to be honest, um, like you say about the quality and stuff, like everything I've printed terrain-wise has been at point two, which is the standard. And you know, for terrain, it's absolutely fine. It's it's not a problem. No one is like scrutinizing your terrain with a magnifying glass, going, "You can see the lines," because you're, <laughs> you know, you're not painting it unless you're like a psychopath. You're not painting it with your hobby brushes at time. You're painting it with like house paints and stuff like that, <laughs> because it's terrain, right? It's not a miniature. Which means that generally point two is fine, but I have printed stuff that you can go down to point one and they and they come out really beautiful. Um, they're not resin quality, like you say. Uh, that's where. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it might also be because I'm super picky, right? Right. <laughs> when someone says they can see the lines, I take offense. Yeah, I take it personally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like if it's something that you're with every day, every moment, it's like you're going to notice things that most people won't. So you're gonna you're gonna have a higher standard just because your exposure is like it's it's part of your daily life yeah i i think that's fair um before this i also did uh commission painting for a while and mm -hmm. you're right it's exactly the same you look at a model and you're oh i can see what you missed up here yeah where other people are like oh this is amazing totally agree with you <laughs> so up till now you guys have been running uh kickstarters for your terrain sets and you've had two successful ones so far correct yeah, we've had two. Uh, the first one for our first ever Kickstarter was a giant, in my opinion, for a, a brand new company. It was our test to the waters. Um, it 
we did fairly well. I think we did um, almost 60,000 on our first Kickstarter. Uh, by the time it was done, I believe there was 35 different pieces of terrain that offered in that set. The big difference with us is when, when it's a piece or a set of terrain, that's how I count as one. Uh, some sets come out as modular, so you get a pillar, and they count that as one, where ours was a full multi-story building or it was a full set of ruins that i counted as one so it was a, a little different that way so 35 sets or big pieces in our first kickstarter and i thought it went really really well the coolest part now is you can kind of see it all over the world that set so we've actually got terrain mini wargaming has sets of our terrain black knight games out here uh x planet has some uh, we were featured on a Spanish gaming convention. It was awesome. A gentleman named Isra made an entire beautiful table. Top table gaming community out there also has a table that they just did. It's At one point, we had 22 resellers around the world that were printing and uh, selling terrain out to different people. It's really neat. We've, we went from zero to 2,500 followers. And I think that's pretty good for a guy with an idea. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, what was the theme for the, the first Kickstarter? The first theme was uh, the ruins yeah. that I wanted to kind of have for Frostgrave and kind of have for Mordheim. And then it expanded into not ruined buildings. And then it, it uh, also had um, templates of scattered terrain that were ruins and statues and brick walls. And But the big part was is that they were all solid. So you weren't needing uh, MDF on your scatter terrain. It was all one piece of PLA. And the reason why we created that was because oftentimes there's spills on the table. When you spill on an MDF, it kind of warps on you. So we wanted to give that option for people to have it all out of one piece of plastic. And you, you could be like, oh, no, it's fine. It'll be okay. The other thing that was kind of unique about that one, the little bit, was the a couple different stores reached out to us and they kept telling us that their terrain kept breaking and that the, the storage was breaking all the, the little pieces off. So it was a really a chunky set. That's the best way to explain it. It was a chunky set of um, ruins and terrain that were all pretty thick. It didn't have any spindly parts. It didn't have any banisters on stairways. It had ruins and blocks and like, um, and big steps as well um that was one of the feedback as well that the models couldn't fit on the steps so that's the best part about it is that we could go back we actually just released an update for one of the first pieces uh even though it's almost a year old that added extra platforms for gaming for skirmish games that no matter how the minimum movement of the models was it would always have a platform to sit on but the stairs didn't look wonky they still look to scale so that was one of the things that we're proud of the second kickstarter we did we kind of continued on with the theme of the ruined buildings but we wanted to expand it into the rest of the world so we did a sort of theme of like a forest or kind of like a neutral kind of terrain which was your hills and your your uh, your forests and your rivers and your kind of thatched homes your kind of pieces that you would find out in the wilderness and then we did an evil set of terrain in that as well because if you look online anywhere there's not a lot of evil terrain out there to be had 
that was one of the comments from actually the Toronto Gaming Expo. Someone was just like, oh, you know what I'd love to see? I'd love to see some actual evil terrain. So that we're still working on, actually. There's evil towers with the like metal and chains all over it. There's evil stones that are chained to the ground with crystals coming out of them. There's going to be a, an evil kind of above-ground dungeon set that we're still working on. COVID has kind of slowed us down on finishing some of those stretch goals, but that was a goal. One of the stretch goals was an entire above-ground dungeon. Um, and there's that cool like that cool sacrificial altar thing that you gave me as well, which is awesome. It's like kind of yeah. like the, with the pillars and the chains. That's really cool. Yeah, and it's it's big enough that you can actually put like things on it, right? Yeah. That, that was, and it's, again, same idea. It's got chunky pillars on there. You bump into it, you're not worried that it's going to break on you. So that was our second one. Uh, we also kind of went for like a City of Light in that one. The City of Light didn't have the greatest, like the greatest response to it. And I think it was because it was too specific. Mm-hmm. And that's right. Like I think people felt, oh, well, I can't use that in my game. It only really works uh, with AOS. And I think... That was why our second Kickstarter, it was successful, like, don't get me wrong, but um, it wasn't as successful. And I think it was because we tried to do too many things at once, and it didn't apply to enough different gaming systems. So that's sort of why, what happened with that one. So the second one, we did about half as well as the first one. Your, your latest one, your latest release was the the Dwarven, the City of Canada. That wasn't a Kickstarter, was it? You just released that straight onto your site. Am I wrong? Uh, no, you are. Um, you're totally right on that one. What happened was we had that started, and we had all the pillars. We had a forge. We had a brewery. Uh, we have the throne in there. We have um, like wall sections in different forms to make uh, elevated walkways. And I looked at it and I thought this would be great for our next Kickstarter. I'd love like a, a ruined past, like Underhill kind of theme. And then COVID came. And I was like, well, people are going to be tight for money, but people need to print things and have awesome dwarven terrain if they like dwarves. So we just put it in a set for, uh, I think we put it at $14.99, so it's 15 bucks. And there's more terrain there than you can make. it. Probably make two tables out of it pretty easily. And and the other, the, the kind of design for that one was that so many times you see dwarf tables with the same pillar over and over and over again. So I wanted people to actually have options. So I believe we did the seven different pillars that are all about a foot tall, and they've got all a thick base. So they're not just thin pillars that can fall over. And you can actually add some variation to your dwarf board. And that was kind of the goal behind that one. One of the things I think that really distinguishes you is that in the nicest way, your stuff isn't ridiculously priced. Because when I saw that, that was how I found out about you. I hadn't. Uh, I I bought like a couple of things from you before, and then you released the this fallen city of Canaglim, and I'm like, that's a ridiculous amount of terrain for fifteen dollars. Fifteen dollars, you know, that buys you a single building from another from another company. And with this one, there's so much. I'm like, I am all in on this. I was and and everything really on your site is is you know I'm giving you a sales pitch now. Is really oh, really yeah, you're welcome. It's really ridiculously reasonably priced. You know that nothing in there is going to break the bank. There's no like yeah pay fifty dollars and you get this. It's not like that. You get the whole thing for fifteen. It's really a crazy price. And yep, <laughs> I got nothing else to say. I agree. Um, yeah, a lot of the pricing I base it off on what I would pay. And I'm kind of cheap when it comes to gaming, or else I'll build it myself. So 
when I was looking at that, I was like, I'd love a table of terrain for fifteen dollars. Um, you got to pay the materials, obviously, to build it, but that that was the whole inspiration behind that. And just like it's all terrain that's like very like user friendly or based around like the use. Like it's like it's nice to have terrain that looks really cool, but if like storing it is difficult because of all the little like tiny little bits that are gonna break if you you know hit it the wrong way or bump into it or if you're like elbow nut nudges it on the table and it tips something over i just like what i when you were showing me the forests for your second kickstarter like and how like you thought about the depth of the cup that the trees like fit into so that you can remove them but then they're not like they're still sturdy and they still look like they're part of the forest like everything like looks the part but it's also really usable in game as well and durable and i think that might be the difference between me and a couple of the other companies is that i started gaming like i know what i want for the games that I play. And I don't know if all the other companies started that way as well. But for me, a lot of the, that's exactly it. So when we did like the ruined bridge, it had to be wide enough to fit one of the old school movement trays because I still uh, use some of them sometimes. So mm-hmm. some of the bridges out there aren't wide enough or they have too much of an angle on it. And some of the buildings uh, that we've released, it's the same idea. They're wider so you can actually fit through things there's a lot more flat spots instead of slope spots. So the hills we just released as well, like it's not a whole wavy top of a hill. It's fairly flat, so you can put your models on it. You're not doing balancing acts all the time. Which is great for the Kings of War when you have unit bases that are, you know, 100 by 80 or, you know, larger. So you have to, like, have somewhere to put the, the, the unit on the terrain. So it's great to have, like, that space but still have nice-looking terrain. Yep, and that was kind of our whole thought process when we're trying to make this stuff. So, kind of segues perfectly into our next question. Uh, it's like, what's like the do you as a company or as a designer? Do you have like an ethos behind your design? Like, how do you choose what to make or how to make it, and what like what's next? You guys will probably laugh. A lot of it comes from my buddies. Uh, they'll say, Ah, you know what? I wish we had for terrain. I wish we had a fallen tower. I'm like, Okay, well. I'll draw it up and you let me know what you think and we'll see if we can get this made. So a lot of the stretch goals uh, for the Kickstarters were just that. It was me trying to look at what existed in real life and trying to see if it exists now. And if it doesn't, well, how can we make that into wargaming terrain? So in every movie, I'll talk about the sacrificial altar there. Every movie, there's always a sacrificial altar. Always. There's always somebody getting sacrificed. (laughs) And on the game table, I felt, well, there should be a sacrificial altar if it's an evil place. And a little bit of drawing and sent it off. That one was designed by Ian, sent it off to Ian. Ian worked his magic with some 3D sculpting and sent it back. And we tweak it a little bit to kind of match what I saw. And that's really about it. The other part of um, the designing behind it is the things that I hated to make by hand that I could make it easier for 3D printing. So I talked a little bit um, when we started about the bricks. I've made too many bricks and they're really annoying. And if you make them properly, you got to cut them and then you've got to shave the edges and then you've got to fit them properly, but they can't be too uniform. So bricks was one of my old nightmares. So a lot of the one design was that most of the buildings had to have bricks. And that was really how it started out. The other thing that became one of my pet peeves was hills. And uh, I had this conversation on our page the other day on the, on our Facebook page. And someone said, well, why would you bother 3D printing a hill? You can just make it out of styrofoam. 
And I said, yeah, you, you totally can, and you're, you're welcome to build them. But if you've ever actually built a hill, you need to buy the styrofoam, which styrofoam prices in Canada are now like, I believe the last piece I bought was $42 for a 4 by 8 which when you look at the cost to build the hill, it's it's almost more than 3D printing. Like it's very, very close. But to make that hill not look like a piece of styrofoam, like you're doing work. Uh, I had a wire brush where I'd scrape the edges. I had a knife where you'd carve the edges. Uh, I had a hammer where you'd change the top of the texture of it. And now you've got this giant mess. So that was one of <laughs> the design thoughts behind our hills. I was like, we need to have nice looking hills that you won't have to worry about the mess. And actually in our next Kickstarter coming up, we've got desert rocks, same idea. Someone, Oh, why are you making desert rocks? Well, same reason. Cause I, I don't want to make them. They're hard to make, not look uniform. And you just hit print and you're going to have, I think our new sets actually come in with seven rocks. So you can have an entire desert scatter set of rocks. And you haven't had to make any of them. <laughs> Yeah, like going from styrofoam hills to 3D printed hills is nice because styrofoam hills are nice. They're light, but like they dent, they can they they get worn over time. So it's like to have a, a more firm, stronger substrate. One of the problems I've had with, with building hills is that, or trying to print hills, is I can't get them big enough on my build plates. My build plates what 28 centimeters wide. So getting like a, some of the larger hills, I'd have to print them in sections. You know, are you are you able to offer them sliced into like sections so you can print them in parts, or is there is there are they kind of smaller base hills? What's the plan? Again, one of the cool things about running the company is that people ask, "Hey, this hill's too big for my print, or too big for my printer," and I go, "Okay, I'll fix that for you." Um, I had a gentleman the other day. Actually, it was with some of the pillars from the dwarf set. He's like, "All oh, this pi- uh, dwarf pillar is too tall." I'm like, "Okay, I'll cut it. No, I can size it for you." I, I, I love when people ask me to do stuff. So if there's a hill that you think is too small, just send me a message on my Facebook page and I'll add it to the queue. And usually that's what we do. We'll scale it up for you. We'll slice it and we'll throw it in the pack because maybe somebody else wanted a bigger hill too. Sweet. That's what I like to hear. That's also painful for me. I need to buy some more PLA. Oh, God. Steve's, super, Steve's printing queue is growing. <laughs> it's super... And that's... It's super easy to do um, once the file is all designed. To resize it, to cut it, to key it, it really doesn't take a lot of time. So uh, obviously if I get a thousand requests now after they hear this channel, maybe maybe I won't be able to do it as fast. But usually my turnaround is like five minutes when someone asks me to try and do something like that. I don't mind at all. Do you... Um... And do you consider the markets you're aiming for? Do you think about, right, I'm going to print some terrain. I'm going to create some terrain now for AOS. I'm going to create for 40K. I'm going to create for Kings of War. Or do you try and do something as generic as possible to try and cater to multiple markets? It's a little bit of both. A lot of the time, the terrain that I want to get made is because I want it for one of my projects. And I figure, well, if I want it, well, then maybe somebody else wants it as well. So that's usually the inspiration for a lot of it. After we kind of look at making those pieces, we start to think about, oh, well, what game systems will this work best with? And then usually that's how I do some of the marketing. I market towards those games that I think the pieces of scenery would work well for. But truthfully, we look at the pieces first, making the pieces match kind of what I kind of see from them. And then we look at the games that it will work at. It's probably backwards, but I'd rather make scenery that I love and that I have a real passion for instead of being kind of forced into making something that matches for a game. 
Uh, I know there are some companies that do that. They wait for releases of other companies' stuff, and then they design things that will work just like that. We kind of do it backwards. We kind of make the piece first, and then we see, does it need to be tweaked to work with that, or will it already work with that? I, I We're also thinking about more things that will work for more than just one game system after that second kickstarter that's always on my mind so um one of the pieces actually that we haven't released yet on the site or um the set that we're working on right now is a sort of a dark kind of forest with trees that actually make you feel like you're in the forest so if you've ever seen gaming trees most gaming trees i would say are between four and six inches tall and they're all usually pretty standard. We just released, I've never seen them, but we just released Weeping Willow Trees. What I mean by I've never seen them, I've never seen another company make Weeping Willow Trees. But we re- just released Weeping Willow Trees. We just released uh, like a sort of swamp tree. We just released a kind of tree that you can do yourself and add your own flock. Other uh, companies have uh, trees that you can add a tree topper to. But these trees are giant. They're all 10 inches tall or bigger. And it just kind of immerses you in it. And I wanted the trees for a project that I was working on. I was working on a Mirkwood project uh, for Lord of the Rings. And so we created those. And then it was just kind of like, oh, well, what else can we make to go with this? And how can we make a set? And then, well, what sets will it go with? Well, who has wood elves? Who has uh, evil forests? Who has trees? And then once we get further in that project, obviously, then I'll start sharing pictures of it. But that's then where we choose what games it'll be for and like who will ask hey will you like this for your game and then it'll just be that it'll be me going to different events hopefully if covid lets up and showing it off and saying what do you think about these for your game and that's really kind of the process that we go through for making new sets that's pretty cool like because like in kings of war forests were normal are normally height nine which is you know more or less supposed to be about nine inches tall so <laughs> that I, sounds like a perfect fit have you been able to find any nine inch tall forests? no it's so frustrating trees is a night so trees and hills so i'm i'm running a, a tournament in september and it's going to be it's only 24 players right it's reasonably small but that's 12 tables and when i started right. i i had two tables worth of terrain so that's you know that's why I got a 3D printer, and I've been I've bought like a, a can of spray foam to make the hills, and I've been really yep. and looking at charges and putting it all off the hard bits, just printing the, the pretty buildings and stuff because that's the fun bit to do, right? So I'm looking at trees and, and hills and thinking these are this is going to be a nightmare for me because actually the amount of trees you can get online is relatively limited to print ones that look good and don't look terrible. So um, some lovely big trees would would definitely make me quite happy. Yes. Agreed. Yeah. yeah, like the hills are certain right. things are easy to make, more, but yeah, like trees, good trees are that's a pain. It is, sure. and there are um, multiple companies now with trees. I think people realize that yeah, trees are a pain. My problem was always the flock falling off, so that's mm-hmm. why we. I always have just flock everywhere and all the boxes when I unpack stuff. So that's why we made that one set that's all one piece. And I know we we're also looking into adding. They're like tree toppers. There's a couple of other companies right now with the tree toppers, but I think. Once you see them in gaming, I think tree toppers are going to be everywhere because you're not going to have the flock falling off. But uh, I'll look at making some more bigger trees, some regular regular trees that are regular base size, but a lot bigger for you guys after <laughs> we finish this up. So it's great to like, as gamers, we're always, 
we're, we're very focused on the miniatures and like the you know the, the heroes the dragons the units and stuff like that it's great to talk to someone who's like passionate about the terrain because the terrain is like where all the miniatures are like you're playing on the table amongst the terrain so it's like your units are right beside them so the terrain should look as good as your units right so it's so how do you view the importance of terrain in miniature wargaming there's there was um, an article released on, I believe it was on Spiky Bits. I'm not sure. I'd have to go back and look at it. But the the writer was saying how important terrain was and how it actually creates the memories of the game. And it was really interesting piece, and it really resonated with me because he said, um, "Think of all the games that you can remember, and when you think of those games, you're not." thinking about oh well i rolled this many dice and i rolled this many four fives and sixes you're thinking about where the most epic part of that game happened and why it happened there and what it looked like you're not just seeing two units touching each other like face to face and battling it out you're seeing everything that was around it you're seeing that one clip where there was a mountain that your full-size dragon was actually uh, tucked behind before it popped out and it it just ravaged the enemy's siege equipment, right? But that mountain has to be there to have that kind of that kind of memory. And when I was when I was playing a lot when I was younger, it that was exactly it. Like I can remember where that chariot was sitting, and I can remember what hill that cannon was sitting on when I fired that cannonball and one shot the chariot in uh, Warhammer Fifth Edition. And I can still remember that GW hill that was foam with the tiny rocks on the side. Not the most epic piece of terrain, but that's that's the kind of piece that I remember. And if on your table you have some of those big pieces that are just beautiful and just stunning, and you have a stunning table that maybe you don't always get to play on, I think that's why terrain's really important. And you can look at the really big events all across the world, and I find this interesting. There's always a top table. There's always a top table, and on that top table, there's always the really beautiful armies. They usually make it to the top table. But the scenery on that table is almost always the best that that venue has to offer. I don't know if you've noticed that, but I always know, like on the Nova pictures or on the the pictures from the UK events, it's always that beautiful table or even the top 10 tables that are just mm-hmm. like breathtaking. And that's why I think scenery is so important. Now, on the flip side, there was also that huge event last year where it was like pieces of styrofoam and cardboard and it got everywhere instantly. I don't know if you guys saw that. Yeah, the 40K was... tournament, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And- so I think that also speaks volumes, right? If you're running an event, your event needs to be pretty. There's got to be a reason that people are coming to your event. And I think Hooded Goblin, there's a gentleman there named Cody, Cody Brown, that I do, that I've been working on projects and future projects in their store with. And I think he hit the nail on the head. Like People come from far for the event, how it's organized, and how the tables look. People want to mm-hmm. play on stunning tables. And maybe not at home. Maybe at home you're throwing down the cheesecloth forests. But but for me, I need I need some nice looking terrain for models to play on. And I think that's why it's important. I think it creates those memories that people are going to remember forever. And I think that terrain impacts it. It's just more fun, isn't it? Like uh, we talk a lot about how Kings of War is quite a cinematic game because it's ranks and flanks. It's giant armies clashing, and if if they're clashing on like a ratty old piece of board that's got one tree for a forest and stuff. It doesn't feel very cinematic. It's still a fun game, but it doesn't feel as cinematic to me. I can't really get as immersed as I would be. 
But, you know, if you've got beautiful terrain, actually, it, it just feels cooler, doesn't it? Bear in mind, we're pushing toy soldiers around a, a board with a bunch <laughs> of old it. blokes. Yeah. But, Full of pieces of plastic that we've collected and spent hundreds of hours on. Exactly. But we want to feel cool while we're doing it. <laughs> That's right. Something's got to help. You're right. Yeah. Because you put all the all the effort, especially with Kings of War, when all the effort people put into multi-basing, it's like that's the kind of effort you want to see on the whole table, right? To make it like kind of look as dramatic, as cinematic as possible. Yep. And Kings of War, like you said, is the rank and file. And you don't want to be punished for being rank and file. Uh, you still want stuff that works. You still want stuff that looks awesome that isn't always just designed for skirmish. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what I feel some of the other companies are starting to kind of forget. They're building terrain that's just for skirmish, where you need to remember not everybody's skirmished. Some things still have the big bases. Given that the, the, the market is it's getting bigger and bigger as more and people more and more people discover three D printing, do you, do you see any gaps? Are there any gaps left in the market? Is there anywhere to go? Oh, I, I that's a hard question. <laughs> uh, I can give you some insight to what I've seen. Just in the past year, I've been working with a gentleman named Kevin Rank, and what he does is he tracks all of the the Kickstarters and all of the Patreon or Patrons for 3D printing, and the market has just exploded. When I did my first Kickstarter, there was only about 25 different 3D printable Kickstarters running. Right before COVID, we're, we're looking at 40 to 50 a month now, and that's just Kickstarter. That's not Patrons. So there might be some holes in the market. You just have to keep kind of looking. But I think that's what a lot of people are doing. Uh, It's really interesting to see people are are looking the holes and then they're like, oh, there's one. And then if you watch the patrons, three patrons will release all the same themed pieces all the same month. So uh, actually dwarves was a big one. Printable scenery released their dwarf thing. And then all the big Patreon model releasers all release dwarves. So I think everybody's trying to look for it and then see it. And then I think everybody's just doing it. So I think you have to not look so hard at the market and do what you think will work. Like, I think the next big one right now is it's not called moral wind. What's it called? It just came out. Oh, Skyrim. 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 There you go. (laughs) Oblivion. I was so close. I think the Skyrim kind of theme terrain uh, you're going to see explode on the market next, but I don't know. I, I, I that's a, like I said, that's a hard one. There's so many people getting in the market. I probably see two or three new patrons every month, and I'm I'm in all the channels. So they'll they'll add me as a friend. They'll be like, "Come see my patron." I'm like, mm, "No, thank you." <laughs> but uh, thanks for the invitation. Uh, I try not to look at everyone's because you don't want to be jaded by what other people are doing. I mean, I keep. I look at some of them, but I try not to look at all of them. And I think with the ease and the price, I think it's just going to keep keep going up. The sky's the limit right now. Like my wife is an artist, and she's she does what she likes because if she if you look at what people want and try to create that, it's like a it's a lost but you've already lost. So I think the way you're approaching it, like you're looking at like what you you need as a gaming group what you're interested in as a gaming enthusiast so you're like this is what i want so then you're excited about it so your design will be better because you're actually invested in it i'd like to hope so <laughs> is there anything you 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 won't go into you say oh, that's not us that's not i'm not interested in doing that is there anywhere you won't go uh yes and no it depends. There's a a bunch of games that I don't play. I don't play a lot of the World War 2 games so i don't think we'll go that way. 
Um, I, so we won't go into that anytime soon, but that doesn't mean if there's um, someone that I'm working with that really needs something specific, then we would probably work with them and probably start making them. I, we're going to definitely stick with terrain. That's really my love and my passion. It always has been. I took home that gold, by the way, at the Armies on Parade when I made that display board. So I think we're going to stick with terrain. Um, miniatures, there's some miniatures that I want to see created that don't exist. So I think we'll do those. There's also a lot of kind of people 3D printing like gaming aids and widgets and stuff. I think that's one place where we will not go for sure. But that's just personal preference because I like the acrylic cut ones. I don't know if you guys have seen them, but they've got like your charge angles and your charge arcs. And yep. they've got the distance. Sure. Those sure. We, we've got of hundreds acrylic. of them. Yeah. Yeah. The Those laser out cut of a, ones. Yeah. Yeah. They're... They're leaps and bounds better, in my opinion, than the 3D printed ones. And those are the ones that I use. So I wouldn't design something to replace something that I use. That doesn't make sense to me. So I wouldn't go into that. Those The clear acrylic that you can see through with the notches on the end, they speed up gameplay so much compared to the tape measure. So... And you can see underneath them, like where the units are. So we will never, I'll say that right now with definition, we will never go into the range finders and the widgets ever, ever. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about Town Builder Unlimited. Have you seen um, this? It's, it's literally everywhere at the moment. It's like a design program to create your own body. Is that something you think, you know, what's your thoughts on that in terms of, obviously, I don't think it's directly in competition, but it's it, it kind of is. Do you think that's kind of something we're going to see more of? Is that a kind of a threat to the industry in a way? So Town Builder, um, I've seen it a little bit about it. Uh, that's the one where you request and you kind of like building block it together. Is it that one? Yeah, it's like it. I think it's like a website, but it's got a fully fledged program in it where you can create your own buildings to create and design from various sets. I think that's the one that I've seen. I'm just going to bring it up here. Yeah, so it's got like a bunch of different face plates that you can kind of put together. I don't think it's going to really change the industry. It's neat. It's kind of cool. Um, it's doing pretty well on Facebook or on uh, Kickstarter. I'm looking at it right now. I don't know. I don't, I'm not a big fan of the locking systems for fantasy buildings. It is neat, and there's an, a couple big players that do it. It's not for me. I, I, that's the truth. It's cool. It's neat. It looks good. They looks like they put a, a ton of work into it. It's all just kind of modular pieces that you clip together. And that's one of the biggest things that turns me off, actually. I, I, I've printed a few open lock things. I just end up gluing them together anyway. All right. So we're, we're on the same board then. Open lock is really cool for some things and not for other things, in my opinion. So like if you're doing a dungeon crawler, open lock is amazing. Uh, if you do a lot of D&D, uh, in my opinion, or if you need like a really big object that takes up like multiple feet, so like a tavern that's like a foot and a half by a foot and a half with like four stories tall, then a locking system is great. So like our new one that we've got has a locking system in it, so you can stack it higher and you can stack it wider. But for like a building, I personally would rather have the first floor one piece and the second floor one piece, and then the roof, or the third floor one piece, and then the roof, because it's more stable. You don't have the lines through them. Absolutely. But again, that that's me. I talked about that just in the printing lines. So now if you've got a modular building, you have an entire line through your building. Yeah, you can, you can try and hide it, but it, it's still there, and that's something that would still 
that that would bother me on the table but that that's just kind of me no i completely agree. I, I printed an open locker it was actually a kind of a whole ruined fort thing it, it was about 32 pieces it took me about five days to print them all and at the end of it i looked at it and thought i could have printed that in four pieces and it would have taken me half the time so i think yeah i, I agree with you. i think it's cool but it's not gonna it, it's it's adding a level of complexity which isn't necessarily what pe- what i guess your customers and lazy people like me are looking for right right and, and some people do like some people love it and some people love love it so like i don't want to speak ill of it and say hey oh i don't like it but it's just not for me uh it's not for our company in that way like i don't think we'll ever release fantasy buildings that are all clipped together like in tiny like two by two inch sections it is cool and it's neat and it works well and OpenLock is great. Uh, our new project that we're doing is going to be working with OpenLock and something else called DragonLock. Like they're great systems, but like I said, it's just not not for me and not for us right now. Maybe one day, you never know. That said, like the 3D printing you know, world is progressing really rapidly. So how do you see RM printables riding that wave? That's another great question. I don't know if we're going to ride the wave or if we're going to make our own wave, to be honest. Um, a lot of people, like you said about Patreon, a lot of people going to Patreon. In fact, big miniature companies are going to Patreon now. The Lost Kingdoms is one. They designed a beautiful Lizardman army, and they just recently stopped their resin production of it. They added scenery, they took it to Kickstarter, and then they took it to Patreon as well. And that one was launched last month. And then I don't know if you guys know uh, Raging Heroes. Mm-hmm. Raging Heroes makes a ton of alternative models. Again, beautiful for fantasy, beautiful for Kings of War. They also did the same thing. Instead of designing and selling the resin and the metal models, they're going to continue to, but they've also added a 3D branch. And the last company that also is joining that wave is Titan Forge. You might have seen Titan Forge. They did all the sky dwarves and all the metal dwarves and all the... Uh, the evil kind of dwarf monsters that Forge World didn't make, but they're also going to Patreon. So we might go to Patreon. That's something that we've been looking at, but we're not going to go the same way as everyone else. A lot of people are offering like 10 to 15 models. They're giving you a price of 10 to 18 bucks, which is a steal. It's a steal for both both directions. Like if you're looking for some new miniatures, 18 bucks gets you 15 models. Like you're not going to find that in the store. If you print it out of resin, I think you're looking at maybe a dollar a model by the time you work in all the stuff that you're setting on all the chemicals all the all the post-processing maybe a dollar a model so for 25 bucks you're getting 15 hero worthy sculpts so it's it's a great deal for people so i think that's why patreon is exploding so much but i i want to offer more we might do terrain miniatures and a painting video every month if we go that way and then we do the same price point because it's also about the hobby I think some of those people, I, I've said this before, I think some people are forgetting about the whole part of it. Like not just throwing some models, here's some models, enjoy some models, here's some scenery, enjoy some scenery. I think I think it's a whole thing. There's a couple kicks, there's a couple patrons right now that do terrain. They don't do as well as the miniatures. They do the same idea. It's kind of three to five pieces of the terrain for your ten to eighteen dollars a month. So we might we might get on that, but we're definitely gonna keep doing what we do. We're going to keep making the scenery that we love, keep making the scenery for actual gaming. And I think we've got two Kickstarters planned for this year. We might have three, depending on how much the artists can can do in that time and kind of with the world right now. But I, I think the model that we're doing is what we're going to continue on. It might not get us to the top, 
as fast as other people, but I think it'll be worth it in the end. It's it's a slight, it, it's attractive, isn't it? Because it's a regular income, um, which is which is nice rather than people swap purchasing. But then with terrain, it's not such a frequent thing. You don't you hands down you just don't have as much terrain as you have miniatures because you always want another army, but you don't necessarily need another board. It's an, when I buy uh, STLs of, of terrain, it's because I see something I'm like, oh well, that is just amazing, and I have to have it. Um, but I don't buy like everything from a company. So like for myself, yeah. I, I would buy this and I would buy that, but I but then I'd pop and buy something else. Whereas, you know, committing and saying I love everything this company does and like Raging Heroes, I just want all those miniatures because I can print them again and again and again and I have whole units. It's a slightly different model, isn't it? So I, I I agree with you. I'm not sure that terrain is necessarily such a great fit for Patreon. Yeah, yep, and I I agree with you totally. And that's one of the, I I obviously subscribe to a bunch of the Patreons because it's it's in my blood. I have got to. And but that's the other problem that you just said. You got to have them all. So I think at one point I was subscribed to eight different patrons. You got to tone it back. You can't even print all of those models in a month or all of those pieces in a month. So it's all about balance. And if I think personally, if you could find it all in one shot, if you could find some new pieces terrain, if you could find some pieces, um, some new models, if it also came with tutorials and how to paint it and different ways to do it, I think, I think that would be more value, but we'll see. Maybe that might be what we do. Awesome. So, what what's the future tell us about in, in your kind of you had a crystal ball in front of you and you can see the future for our unprintable terrain you know what's what's the goal what's the future looking like for yourselves apart from obviously very bright oh well we're hoping it looks very bright the goal is actually to get back onto our goal for 2020 uh we at the beginning of the year set a goal but then covid came our goal was to have 20 tables complete of our terrain all different themes all different areas so from desert to snowy to evil to uh, winter and to be able to just lend it out to different events this before covid we were we were on track to getting out to a bunch of events we sponsored and helped out with osbgl and did their year-end event we did a bunch of train like i said for mini wargaming we sponsored tgx last year as well and then this year that that was the goal but with covid and all of the events getting cancelled it kind of really set us back so the the future for us is really starting with um, getting back into the community when it opens all up and really giving back to the community and making their events even better. Well, their events will probably still be amazing, don't get me wrong, but adding our scenery to their events to try and help out. So that's our first goal. I know we were really looking forward to having your terrain for the King Beyond the Wall at at TGX this year. So we'll just have to delay that for until when it actually happens in the fall or next year. Yeah, and um, we were also scheduled to go down to Adepticon this year. We didn't we didn't share it too much in our Facebook page because we weren't sure what was going to happen. But uh, we were actually offered the top table that was supposed to be televised with our new uh, Kickstarter set of terrain for Star Wars Legion. And that was just a huge, a, a huge kind of letdown for us. Like we understand it had to happen and we get it, but we had big plans to be everywhere this year or try to be everywhere with our scenery and with the different things that we offer. We also um, had a face-to-face meeting scheduled with a gentleman named James Wapple. <laughs> he runs like Fort, I believe it's called Fort Wapple. And he goes all to all the big events down in the States and he does um, painting and painting classes. And we were hoping to work with him on painting videos and supplying him with stuff for his painting classes. And that didn't happen. Luckily we got to mail 
uh, a whole box of sample terrain for him. And he is working on some videos for us still, but that that was our hopes for this year. So we're we're a little bit behind on what we wanted to do with just being out at events. Moving forward, though, from the kind of the company side, we're hoping uh, to double our followers on Facebook uh, next year to get to about 5,000 followers would be amazing. That would be awesome for us. Uh, and we also want to launch those two Kickstarters. The one is going to be, well, I didn't want to share too much about it, but that, that one elf project is definitely going to try to get launched this year and then our other one that we just talked about the one for star wars legion and the, the star i know you guys are talking about kings of war but the legion one is just a different perspective like a lot of the tables right now have all the buildings and we want to do more of a like down in the kind of street view from a table so just kind of changing the scope of how the game's going to be played so we're hopefully we'll bring that to our fantasy lines as well well, that's that's right up Rob for enough, Sally. He's all over Star Wars Legion at the moment. All I see him yeah. posting is more and more Star Wars miniatures. So uh, he's going to be really excited by that. Awesome. I, I hope so. I I don't play Legion yet. <laughs> it's kind of like the Kings of War. It's on my burner list, uh, my back burner list of things to do, and I'm trying to get there. I've watched podcasts of Star Wars. I love watching the game, and I, I've watched podcasts or not podcasts, um, like. YouTube videos. I've watched lots of YouTube videos of Kings of War as well. Love it, but just need to get the time to get there, right? All right. That's pretty good coverage of like what you got, you, what you've been up to, where you're going, and just want to thank you for taking your time out of your day. I know it's kind of a weird, stressful time these days, so it's, I appreciate you uh, having a chat with us about gaming terrain and 3D printing. Is there anyone you want to shout out to, or you know, anything that you you think our listeners should know about that you haven't mentioned yet? Just uh, basically thank you for listening and kind of thank you for tuning into this one. It might be not everyone's cup of tea. If you're thinking about getting into 3D printing, don't hesitate to ask people. I, I would say that that's my biggest piece that I forgot to say up earlier. But if you know someone with a 3D printer, ask them questions. They will happily share. If you want to kind of follow along with what we're doing, we have a Facebook page. It's just facebook.com slash rmprintableterrain. It's pretty easy to know like pretty rm principal terrain like it's pretty straightforward uh if you go there take a look at what we've been working on we post all sorts of painted pictures on there we have our instagram same idea it's just rm principal terrain our instagram is all the things that we're working on all the events that we've been to uh lots and lots of just photos of what terrain can look like and yeah don't hesitate to ask a question there's always a face kind of behind the company and I'm Mark behind RM Printable Terrain, and just toss me a message anytime you have a question. I will answer it as quickly as I can type thing, but that's that's really it. Don't hesitate to ask, and don't hesitate to, to try it out, because 3D printing is a tool that you can use that'll free up time for other things, and it'll get your projects done a little bit quicker. We always say like around here like how great Kings the Kings of War community is, because Mantic is a community-based company, so... It's nice to see another company out there producing terrain that is also community centered. Like you're, you know, accessible. You're, you're a gamer. You listen to your gaming group. Like it's terrain for gamers by gamers, right? So it's like it's nice to have that community oriented focus. So I just want to thank you for taking your time. And you want to run us out there, Mark? That's gonna do us tonight. And until next time, keep countercharging. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on. Countercharge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at countercharge15, 
If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons.